Well, good morning, everyone. Another glorious day. I just love it when we get together like this and study his word. Uh, with that being said, if you would, please turn in your Bibles. Get them out. Your sword, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. We're going to sharpen it up a little bit today. John chapter 8. John chapter 8. Sometimes I just can't help myself. I always say, here's another one of my favorite passages. But every time I turn, I open the Bible, it's another favorite passage. So I just should say this is one of my favorite books. Now, there are some, some stories, um, account, I don't like to even call them stories, accounts, you know, that, that are in the Word where, my goodness, I just wish that I could be like there, you know, just right there, and, and to watch, you know, the, reaction of, the reactions of people or, you know, and just to get the whole, the whole vibe there. And this is one of them. And uh, so I'm going to take it for 12 verses. Uh, again, if you're visiting, I heard Juan said we had visitors today, and it, I welcome you as well. But we're studying the life and the ministry of Jesus. And um, we are just about, again, about five months away from uh, his crucifixion. He is getting closer and still taking the time to reach out to people. That's what I love about the Lord. What would you do? I mean, what, how would you spend the rest of your, your, your time if, if the Lord just revealed to you, um, hey, bud, you got five more months on the planet. That's it. You're coming home with me. I mean, what would you do for, for five months, you know? He is so other-centered, and he's just thinking about people, you know? And uh, he has his, his, his mindset. He is going to Jerusalem. He knows he's going to die. He told the boys that, the 12 disciples. And, of course, there was the arguments among themselves, you know, don't let him do this. Who's going to be the greatest when he comes into it? They're all mess. Um, but But Jesus is just staying steady, you know, and... And this is one of those stories that I just love. Starting with verse 1. Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives. And early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came unto him. So he sat down and he taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And sat her in the midst. They said unto him, Master... This woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses' law, or Moses in the law, commanded us that such should be stone. But what sayest thou? What do you have to say? Well, this they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down, and with his finger he wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted himself up, and he said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast the stone at her. And again he stooped down, and he wrote on the ground. And they which heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman was standing in the midst. Lifted up himself, he saw none but the woman. I love that part. He lifted up his himself, and he saw none but the woman. And yet he was totally surrounded by a crowd. He said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Had no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. Jesus said unto her, Well, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. And I like to include verse 12. Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world, and he that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Oh, let's stand together and pray together. Lord, thank you so much for your, your word just 12 verses, Lord. 
And yet, you have spoken to our hearts just by reading it. But we know, Father, that your word is living, it's powerful, sharper than a double-edged sword. Lord, we know it is the word of God that you have even esteemed above your own name. But, Father, we know it's your Holy Spirit that ordained men of old to pen these very words out to us. It's your Holy Spirit who literally is of this book. And I pray, Holy Spirit, would you just set, a, set us apart, anoint us, Lord, just to receive that which you have written down for us. Give us your mind. Give us your heart. Show us how to apply these things to our lives, Lord. Again, one of our favorite friends around here is not being like the natural man who looks into a mirror, walks away, forgets. No, we want to look into this word, and we want this word to be etched, written as it were, in the tablets of our hearts. We love you, Lord. And we thank you again for this word. It's in your name we pray, and everyone said together, amen. amen. Again, just following his life in chronological order, we find ourselves the last day of that great feast, the Feast of Tabernacles and. Uh, I kind of briefly mentioned all the mandatory feasts last week, so I won't belabor that. Um, But it is the last day, and there's a sharp division about who Jesus was at that time. For most part, the common man believed that he was the Messiah. Um, The popular opinion um, was that he, he did come for them. And, uh, but among the Jewish religious leaders, um, they held a, a very different opinion. And the thing is that they weren't even considering uh, a different opinion at all. Uh, their minds were made up. And it really wasn't about theology, and, and it wasn't about rabbinical teaching, or um, throw some other ideologies out there, ideology, philosophy, or that. It was not about that. Really, what it was about was that Jesus was undermining their authority. And uh, his popularity had uh, endangered their position as religious leaders. It had endangered their wealth. Uh, it endangered their, their money, their cash flow. They had turned Ju- uh, Judaism into a cash cow. I mean, it was very lucrative what they were doing there on the Temple Mount. And... Um, it was just unbelievable um, how they were doing it. And, of course, we have read the stories how that had Jesus, when he went into this particular area, he overturned their tables, you know, and you have made my father's house uh, a, like a, a, a den of thieves and a den of robbers, you know. And he had said that, that his, his father's house was to be a place of fellowship, a place of prayer, but they turned it into into a market. And, and again, guys, I know I go down my bunny trails every now and then, but if I see opportunity, I'm going to do it. You know, I'm up here, you're not. And um, um, but I see the church, not that it's going in that direction; it's already in that direction, uh, where it has become a very lucrative business. And I don't think that's, that, that was not the purpose of the church. The early church wasn't considering how to make money off of people. Amen, guys? So anyway, I'll leave it there with you guys. Uh, but again, um, of course, Jesus did expose them. Um, he called them wolves. You know, he, he, and the word um, wolves there, literally, if you read it there in Matthew, it's extortioners. So basically, Jesus pulled them out on the carpet and called them extortioners, extorting money. But he did it through his teaching. And literally, they couldn't say he was wrong. You know, they had to actually swallow it and walk away as they walked away even today in this scene. Pardon me, in this scene. But uh, they were doing it for selfish reasons. Again, it wasn't that they were they, they, they were doing it for good reason. It wasn't like they were fa- uh, furthering Judaism or any rabbi's teaching. It was all about padding, you know, their pocket and and such. Uh, 
Really, the whole thing starts here, this story from verses 1 through 12, really in verse 58 of chapter 7, where it says that they had went to their own house. Um, Again, right after that great feast of tabernacles, and again, this is where they were reflecting and just thinking about the wilderness journey that their forefathers had went through when they were crossing that wilderness and just sharing with their children how God provided and how their shoes never wore off their feet. It was just a great time with the family, actually, and celebrating this this beautiful festival. Uh, But everyone goes to their own house. But in verse 1 of chapter 8, it tells us that Jesus heads to the Mount of Olives. And I believe there's many reasons why he didn't go back to Bethany and hung out with maybe uh, Mary and Martha and Laz and all that. I, I just think he needed to be there early that morning, that he knew that something was going to take place there. But again, what it reminds me of again is that verse where Jesus says the foxes have their holes and the birds of the air have their nests, you know, to lodge in. But the Son of Man has place even to lay his head. So he doesn't go to a home, but he goes to the um, the, the Olive Garden there. And um, again, I would have loved to have seen the Olive Garden during the biblical days, you know, and when this thing was uh, being penned out. So many historians would say it was just one of those places where many people would hang out if they wanted to kind of find lodging. Uh, we're told by historians that there were a lot of caves in that area, so it's possible that Jesus stayed in a cave some type of makeshift shelters. They would use their cloak, their their poncho. We would call it a poncho today. And then they would get sticks and make some kind of lean-to out of it. Um, and so this is what Jesus is doing. But I believe with all my heart, he's doing it for a reason. That he doesn't find comfortable shelter or housing there. And he's going to spend the night there in one of the, the caves there. And well, verse 12, or pardon me, verse 2 It says that early in the morning, he comes again to the temple. He had just left it the night before. And all the people came to him, and he sat down, and he taught them. Just to kind of give you a a mind's eye picture, um, um, right there as you're going towards the the Temple Mount area, the, the Garden of Olive would be on the east side of Jerusalem. And for Jesus to go back into the temple area, he has to cross what they call the Kidron Valley, the Kidron Valley. And there's a lot of things about that. I'm just trying to give you kind of a picture of of what's happening here. It's probably about five acres in length. It's not that big of a valley. It's very small. But it's a narrow one. But as you start to come up into uh, out of the Kidron, you then go into what we call the temple area. Now, he's not quite there. He's not on the, say, the grounds of the temple itself, but he's definitely heading into the area. He comes into the area, first of all, into what we call the treasury area. He's real close to what we call the court of the Gentiles. We learn that if you just look down in your Bibles to around verse 20. I believe it is. It just it even mentions that Jesus is teaching in that area. I believe it says the treasury area, something like that. But it, but a courtyard is where people would gather together, um, you know, to 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 uh, to gather together to converse. And if you're, of course, if you're area and it was during the feast the mandatory feast while you were going into the different courtyards probably in celebration of those those different festivals but it doesn't mean that people didn't meander up into those areas mainly because they could catch up with their rabbis they could get a decent bible study in that's predominantly why people would head into these areas so the first area that, that he heads into, probably that he has to cro- cross over, is literally called the Court of the Gentiles. Now the Court of the Gentiles, or the outer courtyard, literally would be a place where anyone could hang out. You could be a, a Gentile, you could be a Jewish male, a Jewish woman, um, but, but this is where all the riffraff happened. Uh, Most people believe, and for some reason we want to think that it's right there in the temple itself where Jesus overturns the tables. Most likely not. It's most likely happening in this area. It's trying to make merchandise off of God's people. Um, But wherever you place it, it doesn't really matter. 
But this outer courtyard known as the court of the Gentiles is a place where you and I, as Gentiles, if you're Jewish, then, of course, you could go all the way into a different courtyard. But you and I, we couldn't go any further. If we did, that could, that could mean a death for you and for I. Well, the next place that um, Jesus heads towards is what we call the court of the women. Now, that's a court where Jewish men or Jewish women could then go to, for festival, for celebration, or just to get a good Bible study from one of the other rabbis. The reason it is called the court of the women was because that's as far as the women were allowed to go. Gals, you couldn't go any further than your court right there. This is where Jesus ends up. In the court of the women. And I believe for a good reason. But let's just keep kind of the mind's eye picture here. If you would go a little further on. And by the way, gals, same penalty would be applied to you as well. If you ventured into the next courtyard, the court of the men or the court of Israel, it was also called. That's where only Jewish males were allowed to go. If you went into that Possibly you would you could be executed for going in that. That was what their law um, um, stated. Uh, they, they would go into the courtyard and the, for the men, and this is where a lot of the rabbi men would love to just hang out and teach other men uh, the rabbinical laws. Uh, the next courtyard, are you following me so far? We went through the court of the uh, Gentiles. We went through the court of the women. Where most, this is where Jesus stopped to teach. The next one would be called the court of Israel. That's where the men would go. And then you would go into the inner courtyard. And that is where only the priests were allowed. So you had these four basic courts, you know, before you could go into the temple area itself. Now, why is this important to you? important to me because I really want you to see this morning that Jesus had his options and that Jesus never did anything by mistake and you, you just I think he really wanted to stop there just like when he when he when he told his disciples we must needs go through Samaria because there was an appointment that he had to make at Jacob's well up with a Samaritan woman which kick-started a revival in Samaria Jesus doesn't make mistakes. This story isn't just something Jesus stumbled across. I believe this was divinely appointed. Just like when you were introduced to Christ, that was a divine appointment. And there's a bigger picture than, you know, than your salvation. And some, te- some people, and, and again, and it's, and it's very common, that's as far as they go with just that one appointment they had. And then that's, that's it. They know they're saved. You know, they'll hear certain things about their conversion, but the rest they ignore. And I think this is something that will be addressed even this morning as we continue. Um, There was a common practice, you know, among the Jewish rabbis there. This is where they knew that they would find their followers. You see, back then, no churches. If you lived so many miles, outside of Jerusalem or Temple Mount, then you were required to go to a synagogue where you would have a rabbi. But if you were a follower of, say, Rabbi Hillel or Rabbi Gimei, these different well-known rabbis, you would go to the temple and you would expect to find them there in one of these courtyards. Then once you see them, you would sit down and then he would begin to teach you. Or no, he would sit down and and you would stand and he would begin to instruct you. And this is exactly what Jesus is doing here. He goes into the court of the women and he starts to sit down. His followers, those who have been picking, it's been picking up speed. The common people, even some religious people were beginning to follow him, beginning to accept who he claimed to be. Now he's instructing them. Then all of a sudden there is this interruption. It would have been an interruption to you and I. It would have been an interruption to those who just wanted to get maybe a lecture from Jesus. But it was not an interruption to Jesus. I am convinced of that. I am totally convinced that's why he stopped. Because he knew that this interruption was coming. And he needed that to address that. And he just didn't need to address it to this crowd and to this, the religious people that were there. But he needed to address this whole thing for people like you and I. And I hope that when we leave here this morning, we'll have a nugget of truth that we'll be able to embrace and maybe even challenge us in our walk with Christ.
See, these religious leaders, and they're dragging this woman down the street, right? And, uh, they, and, and, and the only reason they're, they're doing this, and I'll, I'll sound like I'm repeating myself quite often here as I go, but it's just a point that I want to make. make. The, the reason they're doing this is, is because they want to entrap Jesus, Again, it's hypocrisy on their part because they're acting like they're concerned about the Mosaic law. Like they're concerned about Judaism. Like they're really concerned about what God has given to them. They had nothing to do with that. This was nothing but entrapment. They were really bringing this woman, um, dragging her all the way down the streets because they knew that Jesus was in the court of the women. Again, I want you to notice something in verse 3. The scribes and the Pharisees, they bring this woman taken in adultery and set her in the very midst. They threw her there kind of forcibly. You don't think she's agreeing with them. Yeah, let's just take a walk. Oh, you want to listen? And I am convinced of this again because I just don't read the scriptures. I get myself there. Here she is caught in adultery, she knows the law. And she is being drugged down these alleys. And she re- realizes every alley she is getting closer and closer to the very place she does not want to go. And that is the temple. Because now she knows their intention. They're going to kill me. They're going to execute me. The scribes, who were they? I think I, have, I described, <laughs> described the scribe to you guys before but they were the copyists they were the ones who literally would take the word of god and they would begin just to copy it word for word for word for word and they made no mistake if they found one word that wasn't in its proper place the other scribe had the right to rip it up and he would have to start all over again man they were very intense about that and here they are they are called the experts they are, telling, they are telling these Pharisees, the legalist religious leaders, that what they are doing is okay with the law of God. This is, take, this is the law to the T, crossing her. You've got every right. And so they're dragging her. Um, they feel threatened. Again, if they're endeavoring to try to find fault with Jesus, they could not find any fault with his teaching. They could not really pinpoint anything really with the miracle. They always had to walk away. Every time they wanted to accuse him, they had to walk away going, hey, he's got us again. They could not get their hands on this guy. But things are different now, you know. Man, they thought this thing out, right? Maybe they were maybe at first they were just trying to divide his following. Try to make maybe where he wouldn't be so popular. Maybe he would just say something that would require his arrest. Maybe they, he would just do something with this woman, right? Where we could just kind of defame him, if that's the word. That we could lower his popularity. Maybe if we're lucky enough, he'll say something where we can get him arrested. And I'll tell you something, man. This was a very clever kind of thing they put together here. Now, you've got to picture this. What a beautiful thing. You know, you're sitting there. You know, it's a, you're, you're listening to a Bible study. Then all of a sudden, you know, these rude people, and forgive me, but I, I see nothing but rudeness here. They barge in. They throw her in the midst of this Bible study. How out of control can a person be? You know, you just think about it. They're full of themselves. They're arrogant. They're proud. You know, it's it's all because they're just hoping that they could find find something in Jesus's teaching, or maybe he'll say something where we can finally. To me, this is off the chart. What they're doing. And you know why I say it's off the chart? Because sometimes we just we don't see that what they're doing. The way they're trying to pit, you know, the word of God against Jesus or the Bible against Jesus or the law is they're using another human being to do it. They don't care about her. And I read that and I just, I started thinking, this is somebody's daughter. 
You know, I don't know where she went wrong. I don't know. Maybe she was raped as a kid and she just went off mentally. It's conjecture. It's only opinion, speculation. But you can't tell me that she was birthed and then when she's four or five years old, learning there, she goes, you know, I don't really want to follow the, the word. I, I think I'll just turn out to be a, a prostitute. You know, as the old king, or my old king, I'll just turn out to be a whore. Who, who, how many hearts did she break? She had brothers and sisters. Did she have a mom? She have a dad. But they could care less. See, that's exactly what religion does. Religion doesn't care about people. It's totally the opposite. Religion is like a leech. So how can I suck something out of somebody? That's all religion is. It's man's crazy attempt trying to relink themselves back to God. And if I can use you to do it, I'm going to do it. If I can use legalism, man, to make you follow God, then I'm going to beat you up. And if I can use religion to suck money out of you, I'm going to use it. See, in the Old Testament, they had bells that would ring. And that was a sign that you guys should listen up. I'm not kidding. They would ring the bell. No, I got to make fun of it. You know, people, sh oh, I forgot to turn off my phone. But listen, it's okay. There's grace even here. Religion says, take her out, stoner. But grace says, neither do I condemn you. Sin no more. No. No, it is all good. But to me, this is off the chart because it, it reminded me of something that happened with my wife and, and I years ago. I, I had gotten a call from her and uh, she said she had picked up a young lady and I think it was at a shop, right? And it was a fall, it was rainy, she was cold. And I'm not too sure if Irma realized what was going on, but when she to kind of paint a picture, I realized that she possibly had met a, a prostitute and she was bringing her home. And um, so I met her home at home. And of course, Irma had given her some soup and, you know, we were trying to minister to her and I could tell that she, um, she was a heroin addict. And um, I asked her, when's the last time she used? She told me, I said, you're going to get sick soon. And she said, yeah, she was going to get sick. So in my mind, get her to a detox or if she wanted our help. I was at that time, I didn't even know if she wanted our help. But I kept asking her, I said, um, um, you know, what's your name? She kept calling herself Angel. I'm not sure if that was her name. And... Um, and so we were praying with her, and there was other things going on that we were trying to help her with at that I just don't want to paint that picture for you. But um, so I was talking to my son, uh, my son what was going on, and uh, he goes, wait a minute, Pop, what, what's her name? And I told him, and he goes, I think that her parents live in National Park, and they, they've been looking for her. And here we found out it, it was true. That she was born in National Park, raised by some beautiful mom and dad, lovely family. We had a chance to call them. And here she took off on them, became addicted. See, that this was somebody's kid. That's what I'm saying. This story is just more than how Jesus handled someone. You know, and I think for you and I, we've got to be very careful. To, not to be judgmental, not to look down, to think we're better than another person. Oh, but by the grace of God, go there I. There's many of my brothers that I know very personally that if God had not interrupted their lives, some of them would be in prison. Someone you know very well had a gun pointed right to his head. Shouldn't even be here. I know I'd be in prison somewhere. But God interrupted our lives. God met us somewhere. And it wasn't by a mistake. He stopped right there at the court of the women. He could have gone in where all the men hung out. But he purposely waited for her. 
it's off the chart to me. They used her as a pawn in their game, you know. Just minutes before that, the word tells us she's caught in the very act of adultery. You know, and you wonder how they knew. You, was she just, was, was this a setup? Were they peeping toms? I, I don't know. I, how would they know something like that? But it tells us right there that these religious people caught her in this very act and forcibly drug her through the street. And again, I'm convinced that first, maybe she doesn't know what they're going to do with her. But again, as she gets closer and closer, her head is spinning. And I cannot imagine now the fear that that she experiencing. Have you ever been engulfed with fear where you just tremble? You know, maybe some of you haven't, you know, but maybe some of us have where you thought, my goodness, she's shaken. I have no doubt. She doesn't want to die. Drug addicts don't want to die. They might reach that point where they finally give up, but people don't start off in life thinking, I want to die. And all this because it was just a trap. They asked Jesus these questions in verse 4 and 5. Look, they said to her, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. I wish I was there. Excuse me, how would you know that? Hello? Maybe you got an issue. Now Moses in the, in the law commands us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? him in these verses again indisputable caught in the very act she's guilty we don't even have any record of her trying to defend herself she is just there they inform Jesus that this sentence if you agree with the Mosaic law this sentence must be carried out based on the Mosaic law and you guess what but they were right see that's what makes this so interesting they were right. They were saying, Leviticus chapter 20, verse 10, write it down, but I'll read it to you. It says, the man that committeth adultery with another man's wife, even that he committeth adultery with his neighbor's wife, that adulterer and adulteress shall surely be put to death. Now, there's several places in Leviticus and other places where God says, yes, you know, marriage is to be protected. Marriage is to be, I, I will only recognize the institution of marriage when it comes to sex. Anything outside of that is not my plan. That was written down in the he's so forced like stoning that's kind of extreme he knew what area they were going into and they were going in the, into an area where you talk about um sex out of control and i just looked around forgive me a parent that i'll be very careful with this there's young people in here but i could give you a picture of how the canaanites practice some of their religious religion my goodness it would skeeve the most perverted person on the world today no, no, I'm going to protect you and I'm going to give you a law. I love you too much just to let you go into a land without any protection. And if you violate that, that means you're gravitating towards Canaanite practice or Moabite practice, all these different, you're going to start to worship Baal. And by the way, they did that anyway. But God's plan was for one man, one woman. It goes all the way back to Genesis. Please listen to me carefully, guys. One man, one woman. God brings you to together. And it's a decision that that man and I, that we are going to stay together. And no wonder, no wonder a minister go for better, for worse. You almost want to replete that for 15 minutes during your ceremony. For better, for worse, better, for worse, better, for worse, worse, for better. You remember, better, for worse, you know, rich or poor, doesn't matter if he loses his job, you stick with him, you know, till death do you part. Now, can I say this? Maybe you've been through it a couple of times. Just remember that God wants his in you and God challenges your heart. He says to you, the partner you're with right now, you stay with. For better or for worse. Amen, church? Why? He's a joy kill. He doesn't want me to experience something else. No. He loves you. And he knows how hard it is. And I've seen it around here. We're two Christians, man. No matter how much counsel we give them or we set up the 
professional counseling. You know, no matter what we do, I see them being torn apart in the pain they go through. Marriage is a decision. All those emotions that we have before we get married, the love and look how beautiful. God, would, why would you give me the most beautiful woman on this earth? Oh my goodness, I so don't deserve it. Then later on you're going, you don't need all that makeup. Why are you putting all that makeup on, you know? Now after marriage, guys, and then time goes on, love isn't based on emotion. Love is based on a commitment that you have with each other. There's a love, but it's such a deeper love. It's not so surfacy. How many people can say amen to that? Anyway, that was one of my bunny trails. I'll get off of it. But they were trying to get Moses, man. Look at verse 6. They said this testing him. It was all a test. That they might have accused him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger, he starts to write on the ground as though he heard them not. It's almost like he's just, ah, he's ignoring them. But he's not, you know. And again, if I can just reiterate that, they don't care about this law. They don't care about God. They're not care. They don't care about this woman. They don't care about righteousness. They, but their dishonesty is exposed. It really is. If you look there carefully, especially at verses four and five, I believe it is, where the only they didn't produce the man. They only produced the woman. Do you notice that? And that just shows me their hypocrisy. But it was a clever trap. They were thinking, we've got him now. There's no way to get out. Because really, here's Jesus' options. The only, what they thought. The options. If he, if he were to say no, she's not to be stoned. That would be in contrary to the law of God. Opposition to the law of God. And according to their laws, if he were to reject the law, then everyone had the, the, the option to reject him as Messiah, reject him as the son of God. They could, all, all his claims would have been just he's a lunatic if he said, no, you cannot stone her. Now, no, she's not to be stoned. They would consider him, label him as a false teacher. If he were to say yes, right, you're going to stone her, then the first thing they would do is run down to the nearest Roman centurion and say, hey, we have an insurrection on our hands. Point to him and say, he just said that he, she's not to be. And so he would have, be, he would have been arrested by Roman law. He has no problem if he says yes. If he says yes, stone her, then he jeopardizes his following. See, at this point, the people who were really following him were the common people, blue-collar people. No, there were some other rich people, Joseph of Arimathea. He was following religious leaders, Nicodemus. But for most part, the people that were following him were people like you and I who have all kinds of different backgrounds. Common people. If he said, yes, stoner, everyone would turn around and look at each other. Well, wait a minute. What about loving your enemies and turning the cheek? And what about blessing those that curse you and rejoice when you're persecuted? Oh, you're a phony, GC. See, that, that's what I said. This was, this was very clever on their part. They're thinking, man, we've got it. No, but it tells us that he just, uh, he just start, he stoops down and he starts writing in the ground. Now, someone asked me, Harry, what was he writing? I don't know. He doesn't say what he was writing. I would write peeping Tom's. Where's the guy? I've heard Bible studies, and you know, most of them, they would say it's only speculation opinions. But I have heard people go out on a limb saying it's authority of God's word, that he was writing down different sins, adulterer, adulterer, you know, and all this. And finally, he got to, like, the oldest guy, pride. Oh, 
on there because me, I can't throw the first stone. And, you know, and he goes on and on. I don't think that's what he wrote down. In fact, when I think when he first down, he started writing, it could be translating that he was just doodling. My first time when he threw, threw her down there, you know, hey, he just goes down. He starts, hmm. And they keep asking. If you look carefully, they just keep asking. He's ignoring them. And then he stands up again. You know, and he says to them, if you're without sin, okay, then first go down and then cast the first stone. And now he goes down and he right now I think he is writing something. Not the first time. The second time. The first time, no, because that's why they kept asking him. Well, come on, man. But the second time, you see the reaction totally different now. They're silent. Now, what is he writing? You want my, you want my opinion? How many would like my opinion? You know. Not many of you, so let's just move on. Okay. I like messing with you. No, I really do. I think this is, I think he's writing down the law. And I think he's pointing, pointing out to them, oh, you want to accuse her of breaking the law? Where's the guy? Could be writing down Levitical law here, you know? That a man and a woman has been caught in adultery, needs to be brought to the, to the temple. They need to be stoned to death. Now, where's the guy? So the, he, they were caught. They were caught. Because when he addresses this, he doesn't address the law. He just dresses himself personally, where he says, hey, where's your accusers? I have none. Well, I don't either. He doesn't mention the law. She had every right to be accused and stoned, according to their law. He goes, I don't accuse you either. I think he's penning out the whole law. He's writing it very carefully. And they realize, wow, if we throw the stone, what we just entrapped him, breaking the law, if we throw a stone, then we have just broken the law because we did not produce the guy. It's amazing, our Lord. He, they start, now, why from the oldest to the youngest? I don't know. I don't know. You know, I look at a lot of uh, older pastors. And uh, maybe things, when you get older, you just realize the games you've been playing. You know, I, I remember someone says, you know, I, I know more about the word today than I've ever. This is from an old minister. And he goes, but you want to know the funny thing is I repent more than I do now than I did when I was younger. And you know, a couple of years ago at the pastor's conference, Jim Simbola was teaching and, um, and he called all the pastors up front to repent. It was a time of prayer and repentance to repent. And, and you know, as soon as the first guy goes up, then the rest of the pastors, you don't want to go be the first one up. Oh, there's a sinner, you know, but, um, now, my point was this though. I had the, uh, just such a glorious privilege. And when I got up there, I looked to my right and I was standing next to Pastor Chuck Smith. And I could hear him pray. And oh my goodness. And I'm thinking, guy, God, the only drug he's ever taken was an aspirin. He's been with the same wife, the same church. He doesn't see movies. He's dedicated himself to the work of the ministry. And all I hear out of him is, forgive me, Jesus. Forgive me. Please cleanse me. You know. See, I think that's why the oldest. The oldest realized, man, I can't dupe this guy. He knows me. You know, I think that's why it was the oldest to the youngest. And finally, when the younger rabbis looked at him, or the Pharisees went, yeah, if this guy's repentant, man, and can't throw the stone, why would I throw the stone? But he does expose their hypocrisy, doesn't he? Jesus lifted himself up, and he saw none but the woman. And he said to her, where are your accusers? I have, uh, have no man condemn thee. And she says to him, no man, Lord. Jesus said to her, well, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Now, please, put yourself in her sandals this morning. Think about her frame of mind. Think about, you know, what she through with all the religious leaders. She is now in a total, uh, a, a, a different emotional uh, state right now, um, a different mind um, set, you know. Is she, and she's still trying to process this all out. You know, she has just gone through publicly being shamed and embarrassed, you know, and she has no idea yet what Jesus is going to do until he says, where's your accuser? She doesn't know. It, they left. They, they left. One by one, they took off and left her there. 
Jesus picks her up and sees her. And she sees, he sees no one but her. And he says, okay, where, where did these guys go? Where's your accusers? They're gone. You know, no man's condemned you? No. And neither do I. What a moment that she has had with the Lord. You think she became a follower that day? Oh, I know she did. You want to know why? One, two reasons why. Number one, she does not slink away like the Pharisees did. She stays there with him. She wants to know, what do you have to say to people who have been caught undeniably, have every right to condemn them, I need to know what you have to say. I don't really care what they have to say now. Well, my, what I say to you, daughter, is I don't care. This is your moment to follow me. She calls him Lord. She calls him Lord in that passage. They called him master, rabbi. She could have called him anything in the world. But she chooses a very word. And I believe it. It's a, a word she considered carefully. She calls him curios. Same word that we have in Romans, one of our memory verses there in Romans 10. Whoever confesses their, with their mouth, the Lord, the word she, she uses here, the Lord, thou shalt be saved. You're saved. I think there's the two reasons. She didn't slink, she didn't slink away. What would you have done? What would I have done? You know, the good question. Ooh, man, I'm out of here now. No, her life has changed, just like you and I, when we met Christ. I remember that night, September 1973, when Jesus met me, just like he met a lot of you today, where he interrupted my life. But I want to end on this note, gang, because I have a lot more that I could say, but this is rich. See, so many people, they'll use the word of God. They do. And they misquote him. This passage, I hear so many people, when other people um, question their walk or question something they're involved in, they'll turn around and say, okay, you without anything, you can cast the first stone. In other words, don't judge me. Right? But you know, when Jesus said that, what, what he was, he wasn't saying that you had to be perfect or sinless to make a judgment call. You'd have to discredit the rest of the Bible for crying out loud. We are to judge one another and make, uh, discern, have discernment. We, we're to warn one another, you know. We're to, we're to, I, I am, as your pastor, I need to warn you from time to time. You know, if you're living in a lifestyle of sin, then you better check your heart. I do that. I'm your pastor. I'm your friend. I'm your brother in Christ. I'm not just going to sit here and tickle your ears and say, you can live in I'm not going to throw stones, right? Well, no, that's not what he's saying here. See, people just want to, you know, you know, what was it? Romans 8, 1, right? I want to make sure I quote that. Romans 8, 1. There's now, therefore now no condemnation to those that are in Christ. We quote that over and over so we don't feel guilty about something we're in, right? But the rest of the verse goes, those who don't walk after the flesh, but after the spirit. That's who people, that's the people that aren't condemned. Now, there's a difference between condemnation and that. People who feel condemned, well, they will run from God. Those who are convicted by God will draw closer to God. Big difference. But we are to look at our lives. We are to examine ourselves. When we take communion, I tell you, you to do it every time. You go to Titus. What's it say? Walk in the Spirit. You go to Galatians, he tells you to, you know, to walk um, by with the Spirit. And when you're walking in the Spirit and by the Spirit, he brings things to the forefront and you're going, you know what you'll hear? Go sin no more now. Stop doing it. I've given your, my law and I've given teachings. I've given letters of exhortation, not to kill your joy and not to stifle you, but to protect you. There's a reason he tells us 
that we're not to get high anymore. There's a reason he tells us, watch out for addictions. There's a reason it says, watch out for anger. There's a reason he says, and a sexual relationship outside of marriage is wrong. And I hear people saying, you know what, it's okay for me because it's financially convenient. Well, it might be, but it's still wrong. You don't think God will provide for your needs? And he tells you that because he loves you, he adores you, you're his child. I think maybe verse 12 there. Jesus spoke to them again and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you're not going to walk in darkness. And I think that's, she started to follow. I don't, I never think she saw another man's bedroom again. Just like Mary Magdalene. Just like all the other women. And even today, people who have found Christ are still walking him today and they've never looked back over their shoulders thinking, Man, I wish I could get stoned again. Or, man, I wish I could get so drunk I'd throw up and then can't wake up in the mornings. Oh, man, I wish I could just have all these extra affairs. Nobody looks back. Walking in the light, for he is in the light. We have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Christ cleanses us. Give me a fat amen, church. Let's stand together. It's true, man. The Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new what? That's right. Creature can be also called creation. A lot of creatures out there. I'm looking at We're new creation, man. The Bible tells us the old things are passed away and behold what? Everything is new. Why look back in the darkness? Amen, guys? Hey, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. Said the same thing with the guy at the well of Bethesda. Hey, why are you still laying here? I can't get down to the water. Oh, roll up that mat and go home. Don't sin anymore. Don't you love him, guys? Listen, I can't hurry. I'm, I'm so addicted, man. You don't know I've been through every AA meeting, NA meeting, BBA meetings, and every acronym meeting. Hey, I get it, guys. And if there are tools that help you, praise the Lord, man. I'm glad they're there. But my Bible tells me that I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. And I don't have to look back. And by the way, if you are struggling, just ask the Holy Spirit to fill you. I am filled. How I'm saved. That's grace. I don't condemn you. That was his grace. His empowerment through the Holy Spirit is go sin no more. Amen.